Thank you, uh, worship team. I was uh, smiling at Ty across the room there because uh, that is that last song we sang is just like one of my favorite songs. So that was that was cool. Just love that. It's great to be all back in this room and just worshiping together. And uh, just what a privilege it is. Just on behalf of um, just the elders, I just. I don't know if we say this enough, but you are truly loved. You're loved by God, and you're loved by us. We're meeting tomorrow night, and we pray for you, and um, just what a joy it is. Just We have it so good here um, as part of the body here, and just, just thankful for what God has done and continuing to do. And So just as we open God's word this morning, um, just want to remind us again of the privilege that we have just to be together and enjoy Christ and, and his word. Um, we are uh, going to look at a topic this morning. Usually we don't do this. Usually we, we're discussing this with youth group last week, that we usually teach through books of the Bible. And the reason why is we allow God's word just to speak to us, and we just go through the book. But uh, the Lord just brought it to our attention over the last year that we need some teaching on the family. And so we're going to be doing that. Dave brought us a message here back at the end of July on the family, a foundational message, and then this morning, we're going to be specifically looking at young children and raising young children for Christ. And then in two weeks after the Bible conference, Bob will be speaking about raising teenagers and, and uh, adolescents uh, for Jesus and, and what that looks like. So uh, this is by no means comprehensive, but we just really felt led by the Lord to address this issue in more of a topical way. And, and so we're doing that uh, this morning. I think we have a picture here. Um, I will have to say that the longer I'm a dad, like, the more fun I have, and I'm not good at technology, so this is not Gerald's fault. That is my fault that that picture is that small. So I screenshot these off my phone, and you can't see it, but we were um, on vacation in Colorado uh, this summer, and, um, boy, I'm really um, They're getting to be really fun. Shane Pearson challenged me a couple years ago, my discipleship partner, to take family vacations and commit to do that, and wow, look at that. Gerald, you are, you're the best. Thank you. Okay, uh, so there's us. We are on a hike. So we went to Colorado as a family for the first time. I've never been to Colorado. The kids had never been. And uh, we were going to go see the mountains. And this is, this is us on our hike on the uh, mountains, up, up this mountain in this place called Hermits something or other. I don't remember. It was, it was barren land. And uh, we got up past the tree line. Go to the next picture. There's Brock. He had to pose like he was falling off the mountain. It really wasn't... It really wasn't that bad. <laughs> and um, the next picture of Brock, the struggle was real. He was really not. And um, this is when we got about, it was about a two or three mile hike up this mountain. And uh, we uh, were not prepared for, we're not hikers. So we like to go on things with motors underneath us. We go four-wheeling and stuff like that. So this was new to us as a family. And um, we brought maybe two bottles of water amongst all of us. I'm not a big water drinker, and I like coffee, and so Colorado was tough for me. So, um, so here we are. Next one. Okay, so we made it, make it to the top of this mountain, and it's about the size. Of the, it's a big rock about the size of this stage, and we're just celebrating as a family. I will say that portion of it was pretty cool, just celebrating like we did it. Like we set out as a family to climb, and we did it, and uh, we made it all the way up and we had to crawl through this really uh, narrow rock to get up there, but we got up to this platform, and we're literally on top of the mountain. I mean, literally on top of it, there's nothing, you know, equal to us. Like, we're above everything, just looking down on the world, and 
um, all around us, and it was, it was a special moment for us as a family. And so um, that's about the highlight of the trip right there, because then the way down, we did this crazy thing where we're like, well, we all know the way back to the van, so let's just kind of split up and race down. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the kind of the feeling right before uh, the mountaintop experience right there. Thank you, Gerald. Yes, this was prior to things getting sideways. So um, I don't have any pictures of the way down because we really weren't together on the way down. So Ty said, I'm going to run ahead. Kara said, I'm going to run ahead. I said, I'll take Drake with me. Marlis and Brock and Jenny had had about enough. And so they were going to go down real slow. And uh, so Ty and Kara ran ahead and... Um, Kara comes back maybe five minutes later and is like, Ty wiped out and cut his arm, but don't worry, he took his shirt off and wrapped it around to stop the bleeding, and he's, he's still running down. And um, so I'm like, okay, I wonder how bad that is. And um, uh, so Drake and I continue to walk, and, and, and the trails traverse back and forth. And I'm a shortcut taker, okay? So like, I can see the trail below me, so I'm like, why would I walk all the way sideways when I could just cut right through these trees. I'm like, Drake, let's do this. And so we cut through the trees, get back on the trail, and we do that about five times. Too many. And, uh, well, we're walking for probably a couple hours. And I'm like, man, I think we should be here by now. And I'm starting to see things that I don't remember seeing on the way up. And I get a call from Marlis. My phone's about dead. Reception's not great. I get a call from Marlis. She says, uh, we're back at the van. And I thought, that's not good, because we're about five times faster than she is. So I'm like, we have got to be, like, way out of the zone. And uh, she says, we're back at the van. Do you have Ty with you? And I'm like, no, I don't got Ty with me. And so then I realized not only was I lost with Drake, but Ty, who cut himself, is AWOL, okay? So my phone's about to die, and I lose reception with her. And I'm like, well, before I lost reception, I just said, let's just pray. Um, because I knew that Ty was lost. We knew that, because he wasn't at the van, and he wasn't with us, so he, was some, he wasn't lost in the same spot we were lost, and we never came across him, and so he was somewhere else, and, and so we just prayed on the phone, and I hung up, and Drake started to cry, because he knew we were lost, and, and uh, I did not cry, but I was not, I was like, man, this is tough. So, so we get down, Drake and I get down to the bottom of the mountain, we end up knocking on a guy's RV trailer, because we literally had no, I had no reception. By the time I got down on the mountain, I had no reception, so I couldn't even call Marlis to pick us up, and so we found this RV trailer, woke the guy up, and we got in his old take us back to uh, our van, and the whole way back, the guy's trying to tell me about, you know, safety and all this different stuff. I was too ashamed to tell him that we still had a son bleeding out. And uh, so we us back to the van, and uh, Ty is there, praise God. Ty is at the van, and Marlis is gone, but Kara had borrowed somebody else's phone in the parking because she was back up in the mountains because she couldn't get a hold of me. She'd gone back up to look for Ty, and it was just, it was just craziness, guys. And I, I share this story. We all got back, and we all made it home to the cabin. Thankfully, our cabin had a hot tub, and we just, the kids and I were just stressed. So we just went to the hot tub the rest of the night. We stayed close to the cabin and didn't wander off uh, the rest of the time. But I share that story because it reminded me, as I was thinking about this message on family, is that it reminds me a lot of, of a family um, and raising your kids. And you, you start out with, with ideals, and hey, we're going to go do this. And you go up the mountain together, 
and then like things get sideways and things don't go like you expect. Um, like it or not, your kids have a mind of their own. They have um, they have a will, choices, and some of those choices are not right. You know, along the way, as parents, we make wrong choices. Marlis is one of the things she said to me on the phone as she was at the van and I was lost with Drake was, well, didn't you see those like blue markers on the trees that marked our trail was blue and the other trail was orange? And I'm like, no, I thought those were like snowmobiles to keep them from running into the trees. I had no idea. Like not paying attention to that. Like, so as parents, we sometimes aren't paying attention. We make mistakes. And uh, sometimes all we can do is pray. You know, when your kid's lost in the mountains, all you can do is just pray. And so there are times, as dads and moms, where there's not anything you can do. We're going to talk about raising young kids, and there's things that you can do early on, but there's a lot throughout the rest of our lives as parents. There's nothing you can do but pray. And so just would encourage you this morning that this is, as we, as we look at this, there's no formula here. There's no... Um, I watched over the summer the documentary on uh, uh, collapse as a, as, a, as a family, and just it, it was called Shiny Happy People. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. It's good. Um, it's, n- it's not written from a Christian perspective, but I think it's, it's, an, it's an open look at, at what happened there and what happens when we choose to make a formula our goal as opposed to Christ our goal, when we choose to make an image over, over pursuing Christ. Morning, uh, my heart in, is encouraging you that Jesus Christ is the only thing that satisfies. Jesus said, uh, "I've got this verse written on my um, on my phone, so I look at it often." That do not labor for bread that perishes, but for the bread that endures to eternal life. And Jesus said, "I am that bread of life." And so, my encouragement this morning would not be that your goal would be to have a family that looks nice or a family that, or children that are well trained. Um, as noble as that is, that's not the goal. The goal is to pursue Christ. We have a mission statement here, building strong families, strong lives in Christ. And so uh, parents specifically, but, but for, for all of you, if you're here and you're not a parent, you're not missing out. The pursuit is not family. The pursuit is Jesus Christ. And so, but specifically this morning as we, as we look at this um, and I'm looking at Michael and it looks like he wants to do a switch out. So we can do that. Um, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 127, as we're doing the switch out, Psalm 127. Oh boy. Are we there? Psalm 127. Testing, one, two, there we go. Can you hear me okay? Okay, Psalm 127. Uh, these, if this verse looks familiar to you, um, this, this first verse is our theme verse for the year. But we're going to look at this chapter this morning as, and, and uh, what God has for us here as it relates to uh, raising young children for Jesus Christ. Psalm 127, verse 1 through 5, the whole chapter. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. 
Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. The family unit is under attack in our uh, country, in our world. And, and I would submit to you that's not a, a new thing. I think it's, it's easy to, to think that your generation has it worse than the last. But this is, this is as old as the Garden of Eden. Um, Satan attacked the marriage right from the beginning with splitting Adam and Eve and speaking to Eve and then Adam not doing the jo- his job and his role of protecting and the two of them falling and then Satan attacking Cain and Abel and more of a brother familial relationship and pitting the two of them against each other and you see just the wickedness in Noah's day and then even after the flood Noah getting drunk and his sons dishonoring him and so Satan's been messing with the family from day one and he's still doing it uh, today, and we're seeing it real up close and personal in America right now with what's going on, uh, even in, in just, the, um, just the attack on the roles and even the gender roles of, of males and females. And just at the very basic level, Satan is attacking the family. Tony Evans in his book, uh, Kingdom Politics, writes this. He says, the whole civilized world hangs in the balance The family unit is a fabric that holds our collective society together. We as a country and world will be as strong or as weak as the family unit. And I would agree with that. We are as strong or as weak as a culture, uh, depending on our strength as family. So it's no accident, it's no wonder that the family unit would be under attack. And so I think we just need to realize that as parents. In a, in a larger scope, as a, as a church family, we need to realize that the family is under attack. And so as we look at raising our young kids for Christ, understand that that's not going to be necessarily popular, or that's, that's not going to be something that the culture is going to help us do. Uh, we're going to have to be countercultural in how we do that as a family. And so let's look at some of those this morning. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is just our dependence on God for his direction. You see that in Psalm 127 right away. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. How do I train my child? What a question that is. Yeah, just, just tell me that real quick, if you could, please. Um, there's a study that says that nearly half of all parents, 43%, have no idea how people raise children before everyone had a smartphone. The research also revealed that moms and dads regularly use smartphones to shop for their kids and use them, listen to this, up to 77 times a week to search for advice. And 61% say it's the most helpful tool when raising their children. If you want to know why the family unit is not working, they're looking in the wrong place, unless they got the Bible app open on their smartphone, right? I mean, that's just wild. 61% say it's the most helpful tool. Their smartphone is the most helpful tool when raising their kids. Dads and moms, we need direction for sure in raising young kids for Christ unless the Lord builds the house. Our direction needs to come from Christ. It needs to come from his word. The first thing we need to recognize as we read God's word is that there's a sin nature. We're dealing with a little sinner. When that child is born, 
you're welcoming this little sinner into the world. It's just a reality. And, in, and it's, it's, sorry, don't put it on a Hallmark card. <laughs> but it's, it's reality. That's biblical. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Romans 5, we've been born into sin. Because who? Because Adam was our father. We have a sin nature. The Bible tells us this. You know, the, the Luke Bryan country song, I believe most people are good, is wrong. He's dead wrong. Most people are not good. Everyone, in fact, the Bible says, is evil. And the evil inclinations of our heart exist in all of us, including our kids. Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. It's even in some ways unique to a child that they're even more foolish than some adults. That's the reality. So the first thing as parents, as we're raising our kids, is we need to understand that we're dealing with a child with a sin nature. So we don't need to understand them. We don't need to allow them to express themselves. No, we come to them with the understanding that we're dealing with, with, a, with a sinner, with somebody who has an inclination to break God's law. The second thing that I think is really important, um, and this isn't necessarily biblical, but this is just practical advice, is there are stages of parenting. And I've divided them up into three stages. There's, I'm sure you could do a lot more, but for the sake of time this morning, into three stages. And the first stage would be just the zero to one stage, uh, from when you take them home from the hospital um, to when you celebrate that first birthday and they've got cake all over their high chair and all over the table and in their hair. Um, that stage is just love and tender care stage. Just love, you're just loving them. You're holding them, you're singing to them, reading to them. There's, once they get maybe six to nine months, you start to, there's some gentle establishment of authority, certainly, but it's really not much of that. It's mostly just love and tender care. And this, this stage is, is so important. You're teaching them about who God is. Even though they don't realize it, they're learning who God is. God was the one that said, Christ was the one that said, how I long to gather you as a mother hen would gather her chicks. Christ was the one that said that. And so moms especially, your, your role here in nurturing your children um, from the cradle is, is, is unique and is, and is vital to their development and understanding who God is. And so that first stage of just loving and, and tender care. The second stage is, is really where the battle is going to be won or lost in, in the ages two to five. And, and the first thing, if there's, if there's one thing that I would say, teach your kids first, is obedience. Um, submission to another one's authority would be a definition of obedience. Understanding my life is not my own. That's a biblical concept. Galatians 2, 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jeremiah 10, 23, I know Lord, that our lives are not our own. We are not able to plan our own course. There's an understanding in, in living your life in obedience that I am not my own. I don't get to call every shot and to submit uh, to authority. And so this is, this is vital. Um, teach your kids to obey. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Uh, don't give up here, parents. 
um, don't allow your child, don't allow your two-year-old to disobey you. Fight those battles um, and uh, don't give in. Don't, don't allow disobedience. Um, you, you are not loving them well if you allow them to continue to disobey. The second one um, is, is, really, is really tied to obedience, and that would be self-control. The ability, I would say, to just keep obeying, right? <laughs> like sometimes it's easy to obey. It's hard to keep obeying. And so self-control uh, is so important. Um, I remember a couple years ago, I used this as an illustration, and um, we had the donut test up here for Sunday School for All Ages. I don't know if you remember that. Some of you were here. And uh, we sat the kids up here, and I gave them donuts. I think I told them I'd give them a whole bag if they could get through the message without taking the one donut that was in front of them. And they've done real studies, and like kids that have self-control at an early age are far more successful than kids that don't. And so just, again, the gift that you're going to give your kids by teaching them self-control with the very simple things of don't touch that, um, don't take that. And uh, I would say personally, I, I, on this one, on both, that I invite the kids to disobey and lack self-control. So I don't remove, um, with our kids, I don't remove temptations to disobey or not have self-control from them because I would just as soon want to know about that and fight those battles early as opposed to later, later on. I know with the kids when they were younger, um, I would set a chair in the living room during the week and um, usually, invariably, they'd go from the zero to one, and they'd be fine at church, and then from like that two to five range, we'd have a lot of trouble with them sitting in church, and so um, I didn't like to fight the battles here. Um, parents, if you need to fight the battles here, please do. Like, that's fine, but personally, I didn't want to have those battles here, and so we fought them at home as father and son and father and daughter, and so I would put a chair in the living room, I would put on the most boring speaker. It wasn't from here. I'd put on the most <laughs> boring speaker I could find on the, uh, no, not really. I'd just put on a podcast of some, some sermon, and I would tell them that they needed to sit in the chair. We're going to practice church, and they needed to sit in the chair and listen to the sermon. And then when they acted up or started to talk or turned around in their chair or got off their chair, then I would discipline them, talk to them about it, take them back, sit them in the chair, and do it again until they could sit for 30 minutes and listen. And so those are things like, I'm just telling you, don't, don't run from teaching them self-control or obedience. Embrace that um, and, and get through it. Win those battles and, and, and do it in a place, in a time where you can show them love and, and do it in a way that's teaching and not um, in a way that makes them feel like you just want them to go away, or, you know, like here, where it's like, please just don't embarrass me. Get us, let's just get through this. You're, you're, the, goal, the end goal is to give them the gift of self-control and obedience. And so embrace those battles. Don't try to remove um, them. Proverbs, uh, just a few verses on self-control, and we'll move on. Proverbs 25, 28, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. I think we all know people in our lives that lack self-control. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's me. You know what I mean? And it, it's like a city with broken walls. You're just inviting danger in. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. These are verses we memorized as a family and remind the kids of often. And uh, right there is one that certainly comes from God. Now, maybe your child is not saved, but to still teach them the discipline of self-control is important. What do I do when 
my child, my two to five year old, does not obey or does not practice self control. Um, I found some advice on my smartphone. And you all know where this is going, but this is kind of fun. Okay, temper tantrums are a typical part. This is really, on. I thought I'd search. Since, all, since 61% of you all are searching for this stuff on your phone, I thought, I've never thought of searching on my phone for how to raise my kids. But I thought, well, you know what? I'll give it a shot. So this is the first thing I found. So take it or leave it. Um, temper tantrums are typical part of growing up. They are your two-year-old child's way of expressing their frustrations when they don't have words or language to tell what they need or feel. I would agree with that. Um, it's more than just the terrible twos. It's your toddler's way of learning to deal with new challenges and disappointments. Okay, here's some advice. What do I do when my child begins to like fall on the floor and scream, kick? First advice, do not respond. Once your two-year-old is having a tantrum, their emotions have gotten the best of them. Talking with them or trying other discipline measures may not work at the moment. Make sure they are safe and then let the tantrum finish. Give them a hug and go on with the day. Two-year-olds do not usually have tantrums, ten, temper tantrums on purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but my kids' temper tantrums were definitely on purpose. Uh, advice number two, walk away. Remember that your child is not being, quote-unquote, bad or trying to upset you. Rather, they are upset themselves and can't express their feelings the way adults can. Once you calm down, you will be able to appropriately discipline your child. I would agree with that, uh, but... Uh, not with the part that your child is not being bad. Again, it goes back to worldview here, guys. Do we believe that God has said, what God has said, that our children are sinful, that they are sinners? And so they are being bad. And so that is something that we need to tell them. God's word says you can't do this. Okay, give them what they want on your terms. There we go. That sounds good. Uh, your toddler grabs the juice and then figure out a way to give them what I'm paraphrasing here, but just give them what they want in a, in a more safe way, basically. Um, here's another one. Distract and divert their attention. So call their name. Try to like tell them to look out the window at something else. Um, here's one. Think like your toddler. Don't remove them from the activity since it may trigger a tantrum. Instead, wait a few minutes and they'll most likely go on to something else. And then you can constructively guide them into coloring or doing something more safe. Um, set limits. Because I said so, because I said no, you are not helpful ways to discipline your child. Instead, set limits and explain why to your child. Set boundaries by keeping things out of reach, things like scissors, knives, and drawers, with childproof locks or keeping the pantry door locked. Your child may, learn, may become frustrated when they can't do what they want, but by setting limits, you will help them to learn self-control. Well, that's good. Um, put them in timeout. If your child is continuing their negative behavior, you may want to put them in timeout. Pick a boring spot like a chair or the hallway floor. Never hit or use a spank control methods to discipline your child. Such methods hurt your child and reinforce negative behavior. That's kind of the end of that. So that's the world's here is a ungodly, and I don't mean that in a negative way, like I just mean that, and this, they're coming at this from the world's perspective on what you do uh, with your child when you're throwing a tan when he's throwing a, he or she is throwing a tantrum. A couple of thoughts that just come to mind there. Number one, I don't know if you noticed, but they said put locks on things, um, uh, which are important for certain things. But again, I go back to I would just as soon uh, allow my kids to get into that syrup, syrup that's on the counter and learn obedience than to learn it on the highway or to learn it later on in high school 
the hard way. And so dealing with a little mess in the house, um, I think are great opportunities to teach obedience and self-control. So just simply, just very practically, parents, if you've got young kids that are grabbing everything, don't necessarily need to clean the coffee table out. You need to work with your kids on not grabbing things. Do you see, this, do you see the change there? There isn't a just removing all temptation that doesn't really fix the hard attitude problem that this child needs to learn, I need to control um, myself. Well, let's just talk a little bit about the elephant in the room, spanking your two to five-year-old. Marlos and I have spanked all of our kids. Um, I believe in it because God's word says to do it. I believe in it experientially. I think it's been good uh, for them. Um, we've done it because we've loved them. Um, I've done it in anger, and that's sin. Um, I think there's times that I've done it that it wasn't... Um, I will say this. I think that spanking sometimes is a negative. There are, there are certain times where it's not a one-size-fits-all thing, like only spank. So I'm not putting it forward as that, okay? So don't hear, oh, well, if my child is not responding well or not learning, then spanking is the solution. Spanking is not the solution. I don't think any one thing is really the solution because we're dealing with a soul. We're dealing with somebody that's made in the image of God with their own will. And, and so um, I don't think there's any one solution. But I will just say that God's word teaches, to, teaches us to do it. Proverbs says, The rod of rebuke gives wisdom, but a child left himself brings shame to his mother. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Love that last part, promptly. Don't make them uh, wait. Just deal with it. I, I, I don't know about you, but for us, and, and really, um, we're really almost past that stage with all of our kids now, but I know with, with, with them as we were raising them and spanking them, there was a relief when the discipline was given and it's just done and over with and we can just go back to being a happy family. And so don't drag those things out, parents. Be prompt and deal with them. Um, God describes chastening in Hebrews. This isn't just a Proverbs concept. God describes chastening in Hebrews when he's talking to, to us as sons and he says, I'm chastening you because I love you. And so, there's, so if, if you say, well, well chastening and, and, and spanking is just the most hurtful, unloving thing you can do, you're wrong. You're, you're arguing with God the Father who says, that, this is what I do to my church. This is what I do to those that I have redeemed and died for. I, what do I do? I chasten them. I spank them. Why? Because I love them. Read, I would challenge you, read Hebrews 12 and think about that as it relates to your role as a dad and mom and how God, and you're modeling God to your kids and what, what God looks like um, I just want to read the last um, little bit on that section. It says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And I think that is the goal in spanking, is that it would yield peaceable fruit of righteousness. There's peace and fruit of righteousness that, that comes from a, a disciplined child. That's the goal. Maybe it, if it's not happening, something's wrong. You need to pray, seek God, seek advice, seek counsel. Maybe you've got a special situation, the child is not responding well to that. Uh, get counsel there. It certainly isn't this one-size-fits-all thing. But I would just be open with you and say that um, we have done it, and I would highly recommend it, especially with the two- to five-year-olds. After that, I think it has a diminishing return. Um, and, uh, but those early years are so important in establishing uh, 
and basically spanking for obedience and self-control. Those are the two big things that you'll do most of the discipline over is those two um, battles. Uh, two practical pieces of advice when it comes to spanking. Number one, don't do it in anger. So if you need, like that advice that I read, most of it was not good advice, but that part about uh, stop, walk away until you've cooled off is so true. Like just uh, send them to their room and get right with God, get right with your child before you go in and discipline them. them. Don't do it in anger and don't do it with your hand. Um, don't use your hand to discipline your child. Your hands are for loving. And uh, so use a spoon or whatever you need to use. Um, and again, the goal is not hurting your child. The goal is disciplining them so they understand what they've done that's wrong. And so it may seem like a small thing, but those hands that they see uh, from their dad and mom should not be feared. Those are uh, there to love them. And uh, so use something that separates you from uh, that instrument of learning. So <laughs> we just I, those are not necessarily biblical. Those are just what, what's worked for us or what we have tried to do, but would encourage you to um, seek advice on that. Ask older folks here what they did and uh, uh, seek counsel there. Um, quickly, uh, ages six to nine, um, the next stage, add in, so you're, you're still, even in, in the, this two to five, you're still loving and, and leading them. Uh, you're still gently uh, reading them stories, doing all those things, but, but you're adding in the obedience and the self-control. And I would just say continue on with obedience and self-control, but then adding in responsibility, biblical training, relationships, they start to make friends. Um, and I would encourage you to involve your, you know, your little bit older kids, your six to nine-year-old kids, in uh, ministry. So you're involved here. Uh, take your kids along. Um, Marlos and I have done this uh, with the kids, with the youth group, uh, with college ministry, uh, evangelism. Um, I've taken Ty on a few mission trips with me. Um, involved them in ministry. Um, I ran across this verse the other day. This is, just, just blew my mind. I don't ever remember reading this verse before. Philippians 2, 22. Paul's commending Timothy here. And he says, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. And I love that. Like, Paul just, like, puts it out there like everybody should know it. But to me, it almost seems like a foreign thing in our culture. But he says, as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Like, that's a normal thing that a son would serve with his father in ministry. And so I would just encourage you, parents, with your six to nine-year-olds, uh, especially, and then on up from there, but start involving them in ministry together. Um, so just to recap, dependence on God for his direction in training our children. Yes, my child is a sinner. Give them love and tender care. Establish authority. Teach them obedience, self-control. Then you add in responsibility and biblical training. And then just overall of that, just the warning, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Um, so none of these things should be provoking them to wrath. None of your uh, responses should be provoking them to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Training is not the goal. Training is not the goal. A well-trained child is simply the fertile ground in which the seeds of wisdom can be sowed and cultivated. All you do as parents, if all you do as parents is train your child to be polite and self-controlled, I think you've really failed them as parents. So this training is, is, is there so that they can receive God's word in their own life. And so uh, let's keep that goal in mind. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, quickly before we um, run out of time. Deuteronomy 6. If there's 
Um, one thing I want you to get out of this message, it's from Deuteronomy 6, so please turn there in your Bibles. I think you just need to live here as it relates to raising your young kids for Jesus Christ because this is, this is God's heart for your family. Dads, this is God's heart for your family. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. I'm sorry, I forgot the most important part. Verse 4, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord... Our God, the Lord, is one. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." Skip down to verse 20. Here is family life. Here, when your son asks you in times to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments? In other words, why, Dad, why are we doing this? Why are we going to church this morning? Why are we going to Bible study? Why are we not getting to do what everybody else is doing? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt. Pharaoh and all his household, when he brought us up from there, that he might bring us in to give us a land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Verse 23 says that one of the things the dads were supposed to say to the sons was, then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in. And that stuck out to me. Dads, as you're talking about how God rescued your family or when you're saying, don't do this, there's so much more to that, to, to life than that in serving God. It's not don't do that. It's why did God bring them out of Egypt? That he might bring them in to the new place he had provided for them. And so dads, don't only just be the one in the room that's always saying, we're not doing this, we're not doing that. This is what God has rescued us from. Yes, that's true, but praise God he brought us out that he might bring us in. And so cast a vision for your family, for your sons and your daughters. What is God calling our family to? And just live here in Deuteronomy 6, dads and moms, Write it on the doorpost of your house. Write it on your walls. Memorize verses as a family. But it starts with your own personal devotion there. Verse 4. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, uh, first of all. And so I would just encourage you, uh, depending, as we're depending on God to protect and watch over our family, we need to be pointing our kids to Christ. We need to be pointing our kids to Jesus Christ. And Deuteronomy 6 is just great about uh, just a inc practical encouragement on how to do that. We're out of time here. Um, there's just so much. There's so much I wanted to share. Um, this is just a subject I'm super passionate about because it has generational impact. Nobody's going to care how successful you were in your work life 100 years from now. Nobody's going to care how much money you had. Most of us, nobody's going to know your name but they're going to be living with your kids' kids. And the impact that you have, the potential impact you have generationally with the kids that you have in your home right now is incredible. And so I would just encourage you, dads and moms, invest like crazy in your kids. 
through Jesus Christ, through God's word. Just pour into them. It's, it's generational impact that you have the opportunity, both for good or for bad, to do. And I would just encourage you in that. The last verse here, and we're going to close, but I just, I just want to close this with this because this is really the goal. And beloved, the goal is not guaranteed. God didn't fail in creation when Adam and Eve sinned. Christ didn't fail as a discipler when Judas betrayed him. And so I just want to say that the goal is the goal, but the goal isn't guaranteed with our kids. And so our hope is that they go on for Christ, that they choose to live for him. But if they don't, we continue to pray, right? And we continue to seek God's face. But anyway, the goal is that they would go on for Christ, that they would choose well. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is a man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. One story, and we'll close. Uh, Ty uh, went out for football this year at school, and, and as he was getting ready to go to football camp back in, I think it was late July, early August, I decided, well, as a dad, I should probably like encourage him in some running and things, because he's not running, and I'm like, okay, let's go out and run. So we went out and ran, and, and we went out through the field, and uh, ran down through this waterway in our field south of our house, and ran down uh, waterway, and I'm, he's way more in shape than I am, and so he's ahead of me, but he would stop, and so I just keep saying, don't stop, keep running, and I'm like barely jog walking, and he's running, and, and so we turned a corner, and we go up this hill, and went for quite a while, and finally stopped, and it was really hot out, and uh, stopped, and uh, rested for a while, and then we returned to go back, and we turned to go back, and we started running again, and I'm trying to keep up, and just yelling at him to keep going, and well, then he didn't stop. He had like gotten a second wind, and I had not gotten my second wind. And he turned the corner to go back north. And so I ran and then stopped and ran and stopped and finally got to the corner. And I, I was expecting to see him around the corner, like sitting, resting, and he was gone. He was completely gone. And I thought about that literally out there as I was, as a, as I was turning the corner, and I didn't see him anymore. And I just thought, that's it. Um, I hope our kids go farther. I, don't ho- I hope they don't follow in our footsteps. I hope they go farther, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. I hope they go to places and share the gospels in places I've never taken them. I hope they have conversations about culture and how the Bible intersects that in places I've never thought, with people I've never known. Arrows in the hand of a warrior. Parents, don't hold your kids back. Push them forward. Shoot them out cheer them on. And, and don't be disappointed when you round the bend and you don't see them anymore. That's the goal. The goal is that they go on for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we would just uh, cry out to you for wisdom as parents, especially of young children. Lord, it is a privilege that you have given us for just a few short years to hold them in our arms and, and raise them up for you, Jesus. And I pray that we would model for them a loving home and what it looks like to have a loving Heavenly Father. God, I pray that, as you say in Malachi, that you would turn the hearts of the fathers towards the children, the hearts of the children towards the fathers, because we know if you don't, we are cursed. And so, God, we depend upon you. Uh, We would ask for the kids here, Lord, that you would raise up a generation that is godly, that's seeking after you. And, oh, Lord, I pray that we as a church would cheer them on, and like arrows in the hand of a warrior, they would go out and do great things for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.